Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Welcome back. Another week. Another week. Hopefully everybody had a really good week and got outside. We had a little bit of sunshine here, but I don't know about everywhere else. We had about a good week of it. Yeah. Like a good solid week and then this week's supposed to not be good, but we had like yeah. sun, one day of rain, and now we have whatever is going on where it's actually freezing, but it's sunny, partially sunny. It, it makes no sense. I don't get it. Yeah. I just got back from walking uh, Phoenix and Cordelia to the bus and it was so cold. And then I had to go wake Maddie up so we could record. Yeah, I'm tired. Again. I feel like I was tired last week. Always. Always. So Maddie's working a different schedule right now that just this month at work. And so she gets off really late and usually we'll record on her day off or later in the afternoon. And we can't do that right now. Because my days off have changed and I get off too late to record. Yeah. So we're recording in the morning right now. Maddie's real rough in the morning. Uh, but we're going to try to, we're going to try to rally, <laughs> try to get through it. Today, we are bringing you the case of the Death Valley Germans. On October 21, 1996, while conducting aerial surveillance over the southern part of Death Valley, looking for backcountry drug operations. So basically, meth labs. Yep, they're looking for meth labs hidden in the desert, which I know we have a lot of hidden drug things in our denser areas, but I feel like the desert would be a really bad place to have a meth lab. Well, no? you'd have to do an aerial search to find it, I guess. Right, but like here, even an aerial search wouldn't usually turn up a hidden lab. Well, yeah, but if you live in the desert, you got to work with what you have, mom. Maybe move from the desert if you're going to have a meth lab. So Death Valley National Park Ranger Dave Brenner spotted something while he was up there that he was not expecting. Stuck in the wash of Anvil Canyon, which is 2.4 miles from the head of the canyon, was a vehicle. What made this so strange is there are no roads in Anvil Canyon, and motorized vehicles had been illegal since October of 1994. So a really long time. So basically, the Desert Protection Act was signed into law to prevent motorized vehicles from destroying the area in this valley, which yeah. this happens a lot. Even when we were in the desert, we saw a lot of roads that had been closed down for preservation, basically, mm -hmm. and trails that had been closed down for preservation. So this is not an unusual thing. And we do this here too. Yeah, we do this as well. But here, trails are trails. And if you, for the most part, go off trail, you know you're going off trail. And you're also destroying something. Where in the desert, there's a little less of that to preserve. We noticed when we were out there. Yeah, there's a lot of like little trails. Like, oh, you could go this way or you could go this way. Without tromping on anything, right? If you don't know where Death Valley is, it's technically on the California side of the California-Nevada border. So it's right on the border. So middle of the desert. Middle desert. of the desert. It's the desert, yes. Okay, so this vehicle was a 1996 green Plymouth Grand Voyager. It turned out to be owned by Dollar Rent-A-Car in Los Angeles. Which Dollar Rent-A-Car? That's kind of a strange name for a rental car company. I'm Maybe. pretty sure it doesn't cost a dollar. This isn't a dollar store. 
The car had been rented in early July by four German tourists who had come to the United States for an almost month-long vacation. Right, I would like to take a month-long vacation anywhere, please. That sounds amazing. The group consisted of Egbert Rimkes, who's 34, Georg Weber, who's 10, and is Egbert's son. Then we have Cornelia Meyer, 28. She also went by Connie, so we might reference her as that as well. And Max Meyer, who is Cornelia's four-year-old son. So are Cornelia and Egbert, like, together? Yep, and Georg is Egbert's son, and Max is Cornelia's son. So the group is actually from Dresden, Germany. Egbert was an architect and described as an adventurer and a daredevil. He was unpredictable and clever and frequently concocting one scheme or another. His girlfriend, Connie, owned a successful business that often took up a lot of her time. So them being able to get away on this vacation was kind of a big deal. Yeah. The four left Germany. That's really how you spell Germany? Yes. <laughs> Why does it look so wrong? I don't know. It might just be because I'm tired, but it looks... Nope. That's how you spell it. It's literally Germany. The four left Germany on July 8th, flying first to Seattle, then to Los Angeles. Once they reached LA, they rented the van to drive on their adventures touring the West Coast. And when the van was rented, Connie's actually the listed driver because Egbert could not find his driver's license at the time. That's concerning. You should be concerned. Well, you just got off a plane. Like, obviously, your driver's license is nearby. But I think he's, like, looking for it and just can't find it. And Connie's like, well, here's mine. So if they followed the rules of the rental car company, only Connie would have been driving during this trip, which I find very doubtful because... When Maddie and I were on vacation just for a couple days, I wanted to kill myself because I was so tired of driving. And if we were like, if I was older, I would have probably just driven the car. Yeah, if Maddie was old enough, we would have just put her on the rental agreement so that we could both drive the car because that would have been preferable. And remember, they are on a month-long vacation. So I find it very doubtful that Egbert did not drive the car. But there's that. So they were scheduled to return to Germany on July 27th, but they never made it home. So we know movements up to a certain point at this stage, right? So during their first week, they spent most of their time touring around San Clemente. On July 12th, Egbert contacted his bank in Germany and requested a wire transfer of $1,500 to be sent to Bank of America for him to pick up. Photos recovered from the van show the group then traveled up the coast and headed inland, ending up in Las Vegas, where they stayed the night at Treasure Island. I actually stayed at the Treasure Island Hotel the first time I went to Vegas. They actually have this big ship outside their hotel, and they do, like, a show on it every night. That's cool. So they, like, act like pirates and swing around on ropes and set off cannons and stuff. It's super... It's super fun. On July 21, Egbert sent a message to his ex-wife, Hayeka Weber, requesting that she send him money. But she never responded to his message. Why was she asking him for money? Why was he asking her for money? Wait, he asked her? Uh-huh. Why? Because, so, I don't find the requesting $1,500 on vacation 
from Germany. I don't find that strange. Well, from his own bank, yeah. Now he's asking his ex-wife for money. That's a little... I do find that very strange. And I did read in one spot that they actually had a good relationship up until recently when they started to have custody issues. And then why is he... I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird, but even people I have good relationships with, I wouldn't ask them for well, money. Well, I would never I would never message your dad and ask him for money. No, 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 no. That would be weird. That would be weird, and I could not see you. That would be extremely out of character. I'd be very concerned and probably send you to rehab because you're on something if you're asking right. him for money. I don't like asking people for anything, let alone money, let alone from my ex. So I do find this a little strange. I do think it's funny that she just never responded to him. So the group checked out of Treasure Island on July 22nd. Reportedly, they were planning to head to Death Valley on their way to see Yosemite before catching their flight home on the 27th. And I don't know about you guys, but to me, this is a really tight timeline. The 22nd, they have to catch their flight on the 27th. That's not a lot of time to be driving to visit another national park on their way home. I would like to see what else they did. Yeah, I I agree. Because I feel like if seeing Yosemite was a priority for them, then they probably should have headed there a little sooner. But that's just me. Because they have a lot of driving to do at this point. I want to go to Yosemite. Me too. Okay. Do we have any cases in Yosemite? Well, this- we just did a case in Yosemite. What one? Like two cases ago was Yosemite. Well, what happened? Which one? <laughs> I'm not exactly saying you're wrong, but I just don't remember. I'm not exactly saying you're wrong, but I think you are full of it. I, uh, that would be the Yosemite murders in episode 44, which was like three episodes ago. Okay. Um, uh, well, uh, cool. I like it. I like it. Do you remember what happens in the Yosemite murders, Madison? <laughs> no? No? It's the mother and the daughter and the exchange student. Oh, 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 do I really want to go to Yosemite? Yeah, I want to go to Yosemite. They arrived in Death Valley on July 22 and stopped at the Furnace Creek Visitor Center where they purchased two copies of the brochure, Death Valley National Monument Museum text, which they purchased in German, which I'm surprised they have it there in German, but... And this is the last time that anyone would see the group alive. So this is three months before their vehicle is found. So maybe you could have a drug lab in the desert for at least a while. Right, before it gets found? Yeah. It's true. Interesting fact, you guys, this visitor center, which isn't that far from where the group was found, actually recorded the highest ever ambient air temperature on the surface of the earth. It's like a record. And this was on July 10, 1913. So about 100 years before, but around the same time of year. Weird. Isn't that crazy? Really hot out there. It is really hot, you guys. And that temperature was 134.1 degree Fahrenheit. Death Valley's a weird place, dude. That is so, so hot. So on July 31st, Egbert's ex-wife started making inquiries with the German travel agency trying to find out more information about the trip. Heike was worried that Egbert had taken off with their son, Georg. 
In an interview following the disappearance, Haika stated that Egbert at the time of his disappearance was in debt and unable to pay for the house that he recently built. Which explains him asking her for money. Why are you taking a month-long vacation if you can't pay for a house? Well, that's her concern. Like, she's thinking maybe his plan the entire time was just to take off with my kid. Yeah. Not a bad theory. So he and Haika were also in the middle of a custody battle with their son. Right. And like I said, she was afraid that he might have just run off with her. Yeah. So Egbert's co-worker mentioned that he had commented numerous times about running off with Georg to Costa Rica. (laughs) Yeah. Which... He was talking about doing this as a legal shelter against prosecution for taking his son. So extradition from Costa Rica at this time was not an easy process, making it potentially a good place to hide out. Huh. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. I don't know if that's the case now, but... Probably not, but I'm sure there's somewhere else in the world. I just... I'm sure there's plenty of places in the world. Following Hayika's inquiries, the German travel agency contacted the dollar rent-a-car who let them know that the car was never returned and that if it was not returned within 30 days, it would be reported stolen. I'm sure that's not their concern right now. When the German travel agency could not find any information, they contacted Interpol. And on August 14, 1996, the four travelers were officially listed as missing persons by Interpol. If it's not returned within 30 days, it will be reported as stolen. Tell your missing friends. Right? Like, so... Tell them. Okay. Maybe, maybe don't rent your car from Rent-A-Dollar Company. I don't know. So, on October 21st, 1996, after David Brenner spotted the green van in Anvil Canyon, he found a place to land the helicopter and went to inspect the van. He found the van sunk to its axles in the sand, with both rear tires and left front tire completely flat. Tracks in the sand indicated that the van was driven at least 200 yards on flat tires. Right, which I think is kind of interesting because obviously you're in the middle of the desert and you're going to continue to drive the car on flat tires. I don't know what the point of that would be. So the doors were locked and there was no sign of any people. See, if this had been us, we would have just left the car unlocked. David took note of the license plate and requested the... CHP run a check on the license plate number? Right, which is California Highway Patrol. Oh. So the plate showed that it had belonged to Dollar Rent-A-Car and had been reported stolen in August. So they did follow through and report it stolen. (laughs) Good job. When the CHP checked with the rental car company, the Interpol report of the missing travelers was flagged. Yep. So now they know the car belongs to four missing persons and has also been reported stolen. Good job. Way to go, dollar rent-a-car. Okay. On October 22 at 10 a.m., Death Valley National Park investigator Eric Inman flew by CHP helicopter to the location of the van. He performed an initial search and photographed the scene. He found no visible footprints besides Brenner's from the day before. Yeah, but a small amount of wind's going to knock those out. So fast. Near the van, they found food wrappers, fecal matter, and toilet paper. At 11 a.m., Inman flew out to Badwater Road, Badwater Road, to meet representatives of the Inyo Sheriff's Office to take them to the site of the van. The representatives were Detective Jim Jones and Corporal Leon Boyer. 
They proceeded back to the van location at 1 p.m. and conducted a more thorough search of the van and area. Once they returned to the van, they opened the doors and examined the contents. They did not find Connie's purse, any passports, the rental car contract, keys, Egbert's wallet, any money, or the airline tickets. Right, so basically... Wherever these four people went, they took the most valuable items out of the van with them or the things that they thought they would need. What they did find included an American flag labeled Butte Valley Stone Cabin. Yep. Which, you guys, this is a cabin known as Geologist Cabin, and it's about 4.1 miles west of where the van is found. Cool. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, too. Two unopened bottles of Bud Ice beer. Mm-hmm. Bud Ice? Yep. What's Bud Ice beer? I have literally never seen that in my entire life before. Yeah, I've actually never seen Bud Ice beer either. I'm assuming maybe we just don't sell it. Yeah. Weird. Okay. An empty bottle of beer, an empty bottle of bourbon, mm-hmm. a three-fourths bottle of bourbon, so a lot of alcohol. Empty juice and water containers. There was water at one point. Mm -hmm. Luggage and clothing. Exposed rolls of 35-millimeter film. A Practica 35-millimeter camera. We think that's how you say it. I've never heard of that kind of camera before. A new Coleman sleeping bag in the box. That I find strange. An empty Coleman sleeping bag box. I also find that strange. A tent. A pipe with tobacco. A leather card carrier with Swiss bank cards and Citicorp cards belonging to Egbert. A card from Seahorse Resort in San Clemente. Toys and an unused spare tire and jack. Yep. So obviously they left a lot of their belongings behind. On October 23, the van was removed by Miller's Towing Company from Lone Pine, and a larger investigation was launched to find the missing travelers. At 10 a.m., the first searchers were in place and began looking. Search teams included members of the China Lake Mountain Rescue Group, nine trackers from the Indian Wells Valley Search and Rescue Group, and eight mounted units from Kern County Sheriff's Mounted Search and Rescue. We have a lot of search and rescue groups up in here. It's very yeah, concerning. Well, I'm sure you have anyone that works in Yosemite, anyone that works as a rescue team on the edge of Nevada, yeah. anybody that works as a rescue team on the edge of California. During this initial search, an empty beer bottle matching the same ones found in the van was found in the sand about 1.7 miles downstream from the van's location. Also nearby was a ledge that was brushed clear of rock and bore the imprint of someone's backside. So almost like somebody had cleared a spot, sat in it, and from what I understand, the beer was actually like stuck in the sand next to this imprint. Interesting. And it must have either been in an area that doesn't see wind, or it must have been a very deep imprint for it to still be there. The searchers also explored east of the van to the canyon mouth of Warm Spring Road, but found nothing further. On October 24th, search teams returned to the site with an additional SAR team from Nye, Nevada, and Inyo County. And Inyo County? Inyo County? (laughs) 
It's probably not even how it's said, but yeah, that's funny. Okay. They examined more of the canyon. Warm Spring Road, Butte Valley, and Mangle Pass, which is an area adjacent to Warm Spring Road between the canyon mouth and the west side road. Two helicopters also joined in the search to provide an aerial view. Nothing was found of any of this. Which is crazy. We're in the desert. Why is it so hard? And we talked about this in the Indian Cove case. Well, imagine, remember that first night when we went and ran around the um, the one rock, the one arch rock? That was by White Tank Campground. Yeah. Yes. We were back there for hours. Imagine trying to search for a body or a missing person in that. Yeah, that would be really difficult, especially if a person is looking for shade or refuge because of the heat, right? Yeah. Okay. On October 25, the hunt was expanded. They explored the mouth of Anvil Canyon and the far side of the main valley of Badwater Road, Southeast Butte Valley, the west side of Mangle Pass, and the North Anvil Canyon. Again, they found nothing. Which I'll try to put all of that on a map for you guys because... When you can actually see it, it makes more sense, the area that they're searching. Right now, they're just names, though, right? Go look at our Instagram right now, and you'll see the photo. Hopefully, I've posted it since Maddie's guaranteeing it right now. <laughs> I would assume, yes, it's posted. Don't be so cocky. I haven't even posted the map for the Ursula Herman case, which launched yesterday. By the end of the week, there will be a map. I will try to make that happen. On October 26th, the final day of looking, the search teams explored north of Warm Spring Canyon, including the mining areas. That'd be a nice cold place to hide. Mm -hmm. In a mine, yeah. Aerial searches were attempted by helicopters, but were soon called off due to high winds. Again, there's no sign of the missing travelers. After four days of looking with no clues since the 23rd, the operation was completely called off. Which, okay, I always have issue with this. The only reason I can see this being justified, calling it off after a few days, after four days, is because they know that they've already been missing for months at this point. So I think from the onset, they were probably looking at this as a recovery operation. Well, yeah, you can't you can't survive months out in the desert. Oh no, definitely not. No. You can't even survive it's months here in our forest and we have water. So to give you an idea, it was estimated that 250 people participated in the search for the missing Germans and the cost exceeded $80,000. So crazy how expensive shit is. Yeah, so when you kind of look at it that way, it almost makes more sense that they would call this off. And the fact that it's it's a recovery mission. Mm-hmm. Which, still important, right? This family needs closure, especially considering his ex-wife thinks that he took off with the kid. Well, this could all be staged, too. And that's another thing that has to be considered when they're out searching for these people is, are there even people out here? Like, what if they stage it to they drive it out, someone comes with them, or they took two separate cars? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Egbert could have rented a separate car himself. 
he's in serious debt. He could be running away for mm-hmm. like that's his reasoning, you know, is that he's in debt. That's why he's well, running he's in, away. He's in debt. He wants custody of his yeah. son. Maybe she's in a similar situation. I mean, we don't really know. Okay. Since the initial search, various private groups and the CLMRG conducted unofficial investigations. Local Dick Hasselman, who's a retired professor from Virginia Tech, conducted his own search on several occasions. And this, I think, is really important. I know this actually, like, pisses the police off quite a lot. And they actually told these people not to go searching. They did not want them out in the desert risking their lives or volunteer lives searching for these people. But I think in cases like this, this is the only way that these people could be found, right? The county, the state, the normal resources are not able to invest more money into continuing the search on. So I have mixed feelings about this. I happen to support this because this is a experienced searcher. Yeah. If this was just like random people pooling together and walking into the desert, I would I would maybe feel differently about it, but it's not. That's not what it is. Yeah. So he released a detailed report that brought a couple potential clues to light. He reported that an ATV rider had found a couple of German canteens approximately three and a half miles from the van. This account, though, has not been substantiated because ATV riding in the area is illegal and the rider did not want to come forward, likely because he would probably receive a very fat fine. Yeah. Hasselman also reported that sometime between July and October, a ranger on patrol 18 miles from the van found an abandoned Coleman sleeping bag in the middle of a remote dirt road. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? When he found the sleeping bag, no one knew about the missing Germans, so he assumed the bag had been lost or thrown away. They did later determine that they didn't think this sleeping bag was connected to the Germans because it was found so far from the van. However, there's wind. Thank you. I would like to know what direction the wind consistently blows or if a storm came through in that time frame, in that short time frame, what direction was the storm going? Because a sleeping bag could easily be lifted by wind. Well, especially if it's like your sleeping bag. My God, your sleeping bag would fly <laughs> in the fucking No, wind. so this is a Coleman. It's They're a little heavier yeah, it's than like, mine. I think mine's a Coleman. My blue one. Yours might be a Coleman. So I feel like it has the little square I I picture logo. these as more like camping sleeping bags though. Like more like Less, what we have in the garage. Yeah, but I still think that my hiking one's a Coleman. I don't think it is. Is it not? I don't think so. There is a Coleman sleeping bag somewhere in this house. We for sure have a Coleman sleeping bag somewhere in our household because we have a ton of camping gear. But the wind in the desert can pick up. Right. But remember, the person's back impression is still in the sand. So there couldn't have been wind that was too crazy, I wouldn't think. But... Either way, authorities don't think it's connected. I'm not so sure because we have an empty Coleman sleeping bag box with no sleeping bag. And we have the same type of sleeping bag found. I'd like to know 
if it matches the Coleman sleeping bag that was supposed to be in that box. Yep. I would also love to know that. Because everything I found said that it was ruled out as being theirs because it was so far away, not because it didn't match or wasn't the right kind. That's what I would like to know personally. I'm not convinced. I feel like 18 miles is not too far for a lone sleeping bag to travel in the wind. Well, right. And then... and Like then our it, whole ass tent almost got picked up in the desert. Like the wind was... Our tent, yeah. Our We had to definitely um, secure our tent the first night we were there with rocks over our stakes because it was so windy that we were worried we were going to lose the tent. Oh, I was worried when we were not in the tent. I was like... Um, the tent's going to blow away. The tent yeah. is definitely going to like... I feel like it's going to blow away. And that's a tent. That is a tent. Another local, Emmett Harder, who was a prospector from Butte Valley, also conducted his own investigation and explored the area surrounding the location of the van. In his 1998 book titled, These Canyons Are Full of Ghosts, he stated that we will continue to try to solve this mystery for the sake of the survivors and for the sake of others. We hope won't make the same mistakes. Right, so basically they're saying they want to solve this mystery not only for the survivors, which would be the family left behind, right, but to prevent others from making the same mistakes that this family made. He, as well as many others, conducted multiple searches in an attempt to find clues to what happened to the Germans. Harder and his wife, Ruth, published a magazine titled Desert Breeze, and as a prospector, he knew Death Valley quite well. The pair operated a gold mine in the park and spent a lot of time exploring and traveling through the park. Ruth urged Harder to look for the Germans, stating, You have to go out there and look. What if those were our kids? Those families need to know what happened. So Harder went out multiple times. He contacted the families in Germany and interviewed multiple investigators who worked on the case. I think this is the first one we've seen where there's like, you know, We've had multiple cases where there's a guy obsessed with the case and that's... Or the, girl, yeah. Or somebody, single-handed person obsessed with the case and that's how it gets solved. This is the first one I've seen where it didn't, like, wreck their marriage, where their spouse is, like... Supportive. Yeah, I know. fucking I thought that, solve this. I thought that was interesting, too. After conducting several searches, he submitted his own report with his findings and theories on the missing Germans. In one section of his report, he discussed the canteens reported by Hasselman, noting that there was a food water cache in the area for a group of long-distance hikers. Harder believed the canteens could have been from the cache and not from the missing Germans, which another weird coincidence that they happen to be German canteens. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know about that, but... Emmett Harder was also given access to the camera found in the van, and while viewing the photos, he recognized a sunset picture from Honolupe Canyon, which was located 17 miles north of Warm Spring Canyon. This discovery led investigators to believe that the group camped at Honolupe Canyon on July 22nd, which helped them piece together the potential movements of the group after they left Furnace Creek Visitor Center. As investigators looked into the movements of the Germans, they were able to come up with an idea of where they went from the center to where the van was found. The picture of Honolupe led investigators to believe the group 
camped in the canyon, likely to save money. Because remember, they're low on funds. And there was no evidence that they stayed at Furnace Creek Ranch, Stovepipe Inn, Stovepipe Wells Resort, or the Furnace Creek Campground, which are all located in that area. Mm -hmm. So we have no record of them spending the night anywhere. So investigators believe that maybe they camped in the desert. Yeah. Maybe that's when they lost their sleeping bag. The next clue to their whereabouts was an entry made in the logbook at Warm Springs Mine. It was dated for July 23, and the entry said, We are going over the pass, and was signed with all four of the Germans' names. Investigators believe that the pass was referring to the entry of Mangle Pass, which is located just a few miles from Anvil Canyon. So their van was found just a few miles from Mangle Pass, which is where investigators think they were headed. Mm -hmm. The road to and through the pass is extremely rugged and requires four-wheel drive. It is believed that they attempted to go to the pass and then discovered the road could not be traversed in the van So they turned down into Anvil Canyon, where they ran into trouble, leading to the location of the van. The only other clue to their potential movements was the flag that was found in the van. So if you remember that American flag that they found had the label of Butte Valley Stone Cabin on it, which is the cabin known as the Geologist Cabin. And remember, it's four miles from where the van was found, right? This flag was reported stolen from the cabin. Obviously, we know now that the flag was stolen by the Germans, which, come on, don't steal stuff from cabins. Like that, I can't. What's interesting, these cabins are there for refuge, right? People can actually stay in them. They have a lot of canned goods. They have a lot of like stored food, water, things like that. The flag is there so that it can be flown when somebody's actually in the cabin. It's like on a flagpole? Yeah. Well, it was in the cabin because nobody was there. But if you're staying in the cabin, you're supposed to put the flag on the flagpole so that people coming through know that it's occupied. I think it's very weird that they stole the flag. But what's interesting is, or what I'm wondering about, is why didn't they go back to the cabin when they got stranded? It was only four miles away. But one theory is that maybe... They were trying to go back to the cabin, but because they were unfamiliar with the terrain, and when you look around, it all looks the same, that they just went the wrong way. Mm Because it's theorized that they had already turned around once because of the terrain, so they could have been disoriented, and then you add the heat onto that, you add possible alcohol drinking onto that. I mean, there are so many... So many things. So many things that could have gone wrong. Okay, So the question becomes, what happened to the missing Germans? There have been rumors surrounding their disappearance. One of the most widely spread and popular rumors is that the group staged their disappearance to start a new life. Egbert's ex-wife, Haika, stated on multiple occasions that she and Egbert were flying, fighting. Wow, (laughs) you sound like me trying to read right now. Were fighting over custody of their son. His co-workers also said that Egbert had talked about going to Costa Rica. What a lot of people cannot understand is that if he wanted to stage the disappearance, then why would they choose such a dangerous place and why would Connie walk away as well? 
She had a thriving business in Germany. There were no indications that she wished to walk away from her life. Another rumor, and this one's kind of funny or not funny. I don't know if it's funny. Maybe it's funny. Is that Egbert really wanted to break into a U.S. Navy weapons testing facility at China Lake, which is kind of near where they're at. It's about a three-hour drive from where the van is found. But if you're walking across the desert, it's not as far. I find this a little far-fetched because I don't know why they would try to attempt something like that when they're already in a dire situation. Maybe he broke into the facility, got caught, and then the U.S. military got rid of him. And then they staged their disappearance. So that's actually been a theory before, actually. But Egbert's ex-wife, so Haika, did state that Egbert was fixated on the idea of penetrating a secret area to observe the testing and new propulsion devices. He was fascinated with technology, particularly propulsion technology. This rumor believes that the group attempted to breach the facility and were disappeared by the U.S. government. Boom. Mm -hmm. Could be it. I mean, if Egbert did it and the kids knew they couldn't just get rid of Egbert, they had to get rid of the whole family. I mean, that makes more sense, right? Yeah. Although China Lake is an active military installation, it is used as a site for Navy to test aircraft missiles, not propulsion technology. Or so they say now. I mean, when you get rid of an entire (laughs) German family, yeah, you're probably going to lie about what you're doing at this facility. I know, right? Well, and remember... It's a long walk from where the van is, and there's no indication that the van broke down on their way or heading in the direction of this facility either. Well, of course they're going to play it like that. I know, right? But I do find it hard to believe because it is a very long distance from the van. Maybe he wanted to do that. Maybe he did that before, planned on doing that. This is my favorite theory. They made it look like an accident. They put the van out there. They made it look like it broke down. Then they staged it all and was like the family just walked out into the desert we don't know what happened oh what that's that's it i knew i should have saved this theory for last because i knew it was going to distract madison <laughs> i'm distracted the u.s military covered of this german family that's it okay he's well, not gone to the active military base <laughs> actually the military bases at least ours over here they're pretty intense they're pretty intense like the high fences the barbed wire the cameras everywhere they're pretty intense A third popular rumor is that the group ran into dangerous criminals and were killed. Some even believe that the aging Charles Manson followers from the nearby Barker Ranch came across the group and murdered them. The Barker Ranch is also about a three-hour drive from where the van is found. However, it is a shorter walk, but I find this theory quite unlikely. Why wouldn't they just try to get them to join? Why would they kill them? Maybe they weren't interested in joining. Maybe they just wanted their money. I feel like they would have tried to. There's children. No, they don't want children. Isn't it a cult? It's a cult, but they don't want children. They want, like, young adults. What kind of cult doesn't want children? The kind that just gets high on shrooms and murders people. Anyway, the Manson family is a story for another day. We're going to move on. Apparently, Maddie doesn't know that much about the Manson family. No, I don't know that much about the Manson family. How do you not know about the Manson family? I don't. I don't know. I know a lot about other cults. I don't know anything about the Manson family, Oh, I just figured it's a cult. Like, you'd be, like, on board and know about them. I am on board for cults. (laughs) That's a story for an entire another time. We're going to move on. 
So another thought is that the group ran into some backcountry psychopaths who took advantage of the group, murdered them, buried them in the desert. I mean, I don't know. I find this kind of unlikely. And how many backcountry criminals are hanging out in Death Valley? Well, I mean, people do go out there with their ATVs. They go out there and do things illegally. I find that unlikely. Maybe a meth lab? Maybe. I don't know. I find that one more likely than the Mansons or the government. (laughs) Mom, the government hides stuff from us all the time. Oh, I know. I know. Why wouldn't they? Okay, anyway. Anyway. We're just going to have to keep on moving on. You will definitely hear more about this in our bunker talk. And I apologize now for Maddie's ranting that's probably going to happen when... My thing with the criminals, why didn't they ransack the van? Why didn't they take stuff from the van? I don't know. Maybe they didn't come across the van. Maybe they just came across the four Germans. Perfect. I already love this one. I already saw I already saw the word I like. So, obviously another popular rumor is that they were abducted by aliens. That's why there's no sign of their whereabouts. They all just seem to vanish. Death Valley has been listed as a possible alien hotspot with rumors of UFO crashes in the 60s and other unexplained incidents throughout the park nearby extraterrestrial highway. Yep. Always love aliens. Possible. Why when they're in the middle of the desert, the aliens are like, hey, look at those people. They're just walking. Let's just abduct them. No one's going to see. And they are probed, brought to an alien planet. You know, whatever. You know, whatever. whatever aliens do. Yeah. My theory, of course, is that what happened to the group was they made a series of honest, small mistakes. Well, some of them not so small. But the group being from Germany, they may not have realized how inhospitable and remote a place like Death Valley could be. Well, yeah, even people that are from here, people who live in California and end up going into the desert, into the really hot places, underestimate it, and they're aware of it, but they just underestimate it, and they... Well, and not only that, but for some reason, people think the desert is just flat sand, that's it. There are a lot of rocks, there are a lot of dangerous terrain... Death Valley does cover over 3,000 square miles and is known as one of the hottest places in the world. And during this time, the temperatures in Death Valley ranged from 91 degrees to 124 degrees. Uh, We were in like 104 degree weather when we were hiking in Europe and that was so awful. Yep. The estimated temperature at the van on the 23rd would have been about 107 degrees. Mm, That's not okay. And to add on to them being in Germany as well, a regular car can be driven all over Germany because the roads are more developed than they are here. So everything is much closer together. The group was from East Germany, and in 1996, the most common car was a Trabant. Specialized off-road vehicles were not common nor needed for most traveling in Germany. Which, here in the U.S., if you're going anywhere in almost any state park, for the most part, especially if you're near the mountains, you're going to want an all-terrain vehicle. Yeah. Because I can tell you in our national park, our national forests and all that stuff, there are so many roads that, like, my car, my little tiny Honda Civic isn't going to make it. Yeah. Well, and we, when we went to California to the desert, we paid extra for an SUV 
so that we could handle the roads better. Which Joshua Tree wasn't too bad. We didn't really run into yeah, anything. Yeah, Joshua really. Tree was pretty good, but we didn't do a ton of backcountry mm-hmm. anything in Joshua Tree. So yeah. obviously that changes we it. We were basically just on the main roads the whole time. Another issue is the map that they were using. Mm-hmm. So the map in the pamphlet that they purchased at Furnace Creek was outdated and actually showed a road that no longer existed. So Tom Mayhood, a retired engineer and volunteer with the Riverside Mountain Rescue Group, theorized that the fate that befell the group was a long string of small mistakes that turned deadly. Which that's exactly how I look at it as well. Signs indicate that the group was running low on funds, as evidenced by Egbert's multiple requests for money via his bank, his Mm ex-wife. And there might be more that we're not aware of. Exactly, yeah. They'd planned on going to Yosemite via Death Valley and had been looking for low-cost options to make the trip. Right, which might have affected decisions that they made along the way or gear and supplies that they purchased Mm -hmm. along the way. Okay, so temperatures on Death Valley floor can easily reach 124 degrees Fahrenheit, making camping on the low country not an option and on low funds that meant no renting a room. Right, so their better option would have been to travel higher to camp on higher ground because at the lower elevation, the ground floor is so hot that you can't even camp on it. The map available to the group showed that there was a route to the west via Butte Valley and Mangle Pass. The group, however, would have no idea that the roads were rugged and the van was not adequate to drive on them. So after the first night camping at Honolupe Canyon, Mayhood suspected that the group headed south on Warm Springs Road and then turned west to go to Warm Springs Camp. The thought was that they may have wanted to ask for more information at the camp only to find that it was no longer in regular use and had been deserted. While there, they signed that registry saying that they were headed to the past. So that registry was in an abandoned campsite, but they still signed it, which, I mean, good job. And then after leaving the camp, they likely headed west toward Butte Valley, where they would have encountered the first section of questionable road. The section would have been challenging, but not that long. And when they got through it, they likely thought the worst of it was over and they would be okay the rest of the way. They could not have been more wrong. So I actually saw a video of people driving up this road. Mm -hmm. So they're headed to that cabin, the geologist's cabin, and they're in two separate vehicles. And about halfway there, one of the vehicles can't make it through and he has to leave his car and join the other car to continue up the road. That's how bad this road is. So we have sketchy roads over here. I know. <laughs> we drove so on this bad. one where but we felt like we were driving straight up and there were divots in the road to make it so like it was really, really bad. It was really bad. And the thing is is that once we got past it, we realized maybe we shouldn't be driving on this road, but there was no going back because there was no way I could back up the car to get over the bump that I had just gone over. Mm-hmm. So we had no option but to drive up this. I'm driving the car, little 16-year-old me driving my mom's car on this really sketchy road. It was really sketchy, actually. So, I mean, we can totally see this. Like, you don't want to turn back. You think you've made it past the worst of it. Maybe you're worried about having enough gas to get all the way back to somewhere. So after this road, they would have encountered the geologist's cabin. Upon first arrival, they may have thought that it was inhabited and would provide them an opportunity to ask for help. 
Once again, they found it deserted. While there, for some unknown reason, they took the flag and left the cabin. When they left the cabin, they likely continued towards Mangle Pass. As they approached the pass, they would have realized that the van was not going to make it down the road or up the road. By the time they realized the van could go no further, it was probably late afternoon, and they knew it would be a long road back. At this point, they're running short on time, and they only have a few days left until their flight home. They had the pamphlet from Furnace Creek that showed a shorter route through Anvil Canyon, and the group probably thought they could make it. Once they realized they could go no further, they would have turned around and headed back to the geologist's cabin. From there, they would turn onto Anvil Canyon Road. Soon they would realize that the road was not much better. Yep. And Mayhood theorized that they may have been driving too fast for conditions, which might have been what damaged the tires and leaded to them getting stuck in the sand. Mm-hmm. Evidence indicates that one of the group, probably Egbert, traveled to the location of the beer bottle, possibly to formulate a plan to get them out, like maybe scout out the area, whatever. Right. From that location, it's possible to see down the canyon where he might have thought he would be able to see a way out of it. It appears he may have sat down to drink a beer while thinking about their options. From there, he may have returned to the van where the group spent the night. Yep. The next morning, they would lock the van and possibly head east down Anvil Canyon. Mayhood thought they may have headed east, then south toward China Lake, thinking that the military personnel at the installation may save them. It's thought that Egbert would have believed there would be active patrols at China Lake because they were used to seeing patrols at military installations in Germany. I don't know about Germany, never been to Germany, but we were in, when we were in France, whatever that military building that we were by, mm-hmm. they had guards walking with guns on the street in front of this military, whatever it was. Right. So I think in other countries, maybe their bases are guarded a little different. You don't usually see that at just military buildings here. No, no, no. You would, like, on a military base, you don't even really see the guards. Like, they're not, like actively walking around really Mm -hmm. that I see from my very outside perspective of military bases here. So as the group continued to China Lake, they would have reached an upper level where they would have realized there's no patrol and no rescue. They could have gone back to the geologist's cabin, which was only four miles from where the van got stuck, but they did not. Yeah. And this is just one person's theory of what might have happened. Yeah. But for 13 years from 1996 until 2009, there was no one who had any idea where the Germans could have gone. Connie and Max's family went through the legal process of having them declared dead, but Egbert's mother, Ursula Rimkis, refused to give up hope on her son and grandson and was unwilling to have them declared dead. So right now, if you look up these four people, two of them are listed as missing and two of them are listed as deceased. Actually, it's a little more complicated than that, but we'll get into that. Tom Mayhood, who theorized that the group had made a series of honest mistakes, decided that he wanted to solve the mystery and explore based on his theory that the group had attempted to reach China Lake in hopes of rescue. During the original operation in 1996, officials did not believe that the Germans would have gone south, so the area was never searched. 
What? You don't know where well, they... remember, the search was called off rather quickly. Yeah, because they had been missing for like a month. Exactly. Mayhood attempted multiple times to get officials to revive the search with him, but no one would respond to his request and wanted him to stay out of the desert, I'm sure. Mayhood finally reached out to one of his RMRU teammates, Les Walker, to see if he would help. Les agreed, and on November 11, 2009, they set out on their own to hunt for the missing tourists. The area to be explored was extremely remote and lacked a source of water. The plan was to stop at Squaw Springs, two miles north of the target area to fill up on water. Then they would hike with the water to the area they planned on exploring and camping for two nights. The amount of water that they could pack in would allow for one full day of searching. Yeah, this is a lot of work for like one day of searching, and it's so hot that you can't even search probably for long periods of time. At Squaw Springs, they filled up on water and they packed the two and a half gallons to the target location. On the morning of November 12, the two hikers started out just east of Squaw Springs and headed to the south to end up on the northwest corner of the search area. Mayhood started looking along the south hills with Walker following the wash to the east and along the bases of the hills. The two kept in contact by yelling and with radios. Just 43 minutes after reaching the primary search area, Walker called out that he had found a wine bottle. But it took them 43 minutes to find signs of these tourists in an area that he theorized that they would have walked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A little further, he found what he thought at first was toilet paper, but it ended up being pages from a daily planner printed in German. And then he found bones. So Mayhood quickly moved to join Walker, and they found a wallet containing ID cards in Connie's name. The debris was found scattered over 150 meter. The location of the find was eight to nine miles from where the van had been found. That's really far. Yeah. Walker and Mayhood believed that they had found Connie. They grabbed her IDs and hiked as quickly as possible out of the area. Once they reached the ranger station at Furnace Creek, they called the authorities to report the find. So on December 4th, 2009, a full official search team was launched to head out and explore the area where Connie was found. It was estimated that 40 people and three dogs assisted in this operation. They focused on two areas, one four miles south of where Connie was found and the second area just adjacent to where Connie was found. A winter storm was projected to hit the area around the time of the exploration where the remains were found. So the search efforts became urgent to try to locate more evidence of what happened to the Germans. Right. Teams were dropped off by helicopter to cut down on travel time. Genius. Yeah, they do that in higher elevation hikes here too. Yeah. Like the Sam Sayers case on Mm -hmm. Vesper Peak, they actually would drop people off at the top so that they didn't waste their time hiking up every single day. That's kind of a hard hike too, so. It is a hard hike, yeah. And they also used the helicopters to transport supplies Mm -hmm. as well, like water. So during the search, a second set of remains were found in the area that Mayhood and Walker searched two weeks earlier. Unfortunately, the storm did hit and they were unable to recover the remains until December 29th. On March 8, 2010, the Inu Sheriff's Department reported that they could not ID the remains 
and could only report that an adult male and adult female had been found. At that point, there was no sign of the children. On March 10, 2010, investigators found more items belonging to the Germans where the remains had been found. And in May, it was also confirmed that the male remains belonged to Egbert. Egbert's mother, Ursula, was quoted in a German newspaper, I am grateful that I finally have certainty about the fate of my loved ones. Some reports state that the female remains were positively identified as Connie, but others indicate that the female remains had been degraded too much by the weather to allow for DNA extraction. Whether or not DNA was confirmed, the findings of the bones surrounded by the items belonging to Connie. Yeah, suggests that it's her. I mean, why would some other random adult woman have Connie's ID on her? And be found near Egbert. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. May Hood, unhappy that there were still questions unanswered, went out several more times to examine the area surrounding where the remains were discovered. In November 2010, OES found a pair of children's shoes and some small bones. Investigators were not able to determine if the bones belonged to either of the children. And to this day, there is no confirmation as to what happened to the children. And remember, Max was legally declared dead by German authorities. Mm -hmm. So Georg is the only one that's still listed as missing. But that's because he was not declared dead. But neither child has been found. Right. So no confirmation on either child. So although little is known of exactly what transpired leading to the death of the tourists, it is clear that sometime after the van became stuck in the sand, at least Egbert and Connie hiked almost nine miles over extremely rough terrain in the blistering heat with very little water. Many are unsure how they even made it as far as they did. Unfortunately, we may never know what really happened. So we don't know what happened to the children, and we will go more into some theories on our bunker talk, but one thing to consider is that adults make most of their decision based on rational thought, right? Where a child, if they're out wandering in the desert in the heat, is not going to make the most logical or rational choice, right? So if they were separated from the children at some point or didn't take the children with them or who knows, maybe the children died first and the adults buried them. Another thing that happened, this is interesting. I came across this story And in August of 2009, a woman named Alicia, she actually laid down next to her Jeep and prepared to die after getting stranded in the desert. A ranger actually came across her vehicle and found that she had gotten lost down a backcountry road in Death Valley and it had been stranded there for five days. Her six-year-old son, Carlos, was dead in the car. They'd walked 10 miles to try to find help but found nothing and ended up returning to the vehicle. And they even drank their urine when they ran out of water. Guess how she got stranded out there? She was following her GPS that told her to go this way. And by the time she realized that her GPS was taking her somewhere she couldn't get out of, she had no service, she had no ability to call for help, and ran out of gas. 
So this is one of the reasons that we always download maps ahead of time before we go anywhere because apparently, apparently this happens a lot in the desert where the GPS a scary place. Yeah. And where a GPS unit will tell somebody, oh, go this way and go that way. Oh, my GPS has gotten me lost several times. I'm convinced it's not my fault. I'm convinced it's the GPS taking me weird places and weird routes. Yeah, we we went camping one time and we ended up, our GPS took us down this road that was like so remote and so bumpy and it wasn't even really a road. And we went down this road about 20 miles with no cell service before we were like, something's not right. And we decided to turn back and go back to the main road. And we found out that road was taking us nowhere. It was leading us to the middle of nowhere where we would have run out of gas. Fuck, bro. Don't listen to your GPS. Don't listen to anything. Don't trust anyone. Don't trust anything. Fend for yourself. Just, I don't know. (laughs) I don't have any advice at this point. I don't know. Well, and according to an article in the Sacramento Bee, over the last 15 years, at least a dozen people have died in Death Valley. There's a paranormal thing that fucks with people's GPSs. Okay, and also, sometimes it's not paranormal, and sometimes we just need to be more prepared. Not paranormal. (laughs) So that is the case of the Death Valley Germans. And we definitely have not only new Patreons, but we also have to thank Heather Pensano, who helped us with the research on this case. And did an amazing job. And not only that, she's also a Patreon. Thank you, Heather, so much. You did an amazing job. We so, so appreciate you and hope that we said your name right. I don't remember if we said it right when you first signed up for Patreon, but I hope that's right. So we have some more Patreons this week. We have Jamie Ohide. Sounds good to me. Does that does that look right? I don't know. Thank you, Jamie. We so appreciate your support. We have an anonymous Patreon. Right. Who didn't want to be mentioned, but said that they were anonymous from Lake Stevens. And we so appreciate your support. You're amazing, and thank you so, so much. Then we have Jess Murray. Yeah, hi, Jess. Thank you so much for supporting us. And we also had Sean Goodrue switch to a annual membership as well. So thanks, Sean. Yep, you get that 10% off. Yeah, exactly. And thank you to our patrons for all the support. I hope you love the extra content. And the rest of our listeners are also amazing. Yes, you all are amazing. (laughs) But thank you to our Patreons. Yes. And to our listeners who have supported us by helping us research, we did send you cards in the mail and a little treat. So hopefully you enjoy that. And yeah, we really appreciate it. What treat did you send them? A magnet. Oh, Maddie obviously was not involved in this process, although she did lose our mail key. I was involved in that process. Our P.O. box key one has time, been missing. One time, I let Maddie go check the mail. I'm like, Maddie, don't lose the key. And she's like, okay. And then the next week when I'm like, Maddie, where's the key? She's like, oh, yeah, I lost it. I'm like, what? What? And you can't just get a new mailbox key. Like, it's from the post office. It's a post office box. And so I had to go in there. And I'm like, yeah. So my daughter lost the mailbox key. And she's like, your daughter? And I'm like, it wasn't me. I didn't lose it. But I'm pretty sure I'm on a list now because I'm like, I need a new key. And she's like, great. She's like, well, we can't make you one today and it's going to cost you money. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. 
just let me know when you have a key. And I like pieced out of there. I was like, this is so embarrassing. My bad. I lost the key. It did happen. I have absolutely no idea where it went. Oh my God. I swear to God. And the second I pay a fortune for the new key and get it, she's going to find the old key. Yes, that's exactly what's going to happen. I told you to take uh, the money out of my account for that. I lost it. <laughs> I should pay for that. You should take the money out of my account because... I also... We also had a notice in our mailbox saying that we hadn't paid for our mailbox in a couple weeks because I haven't been able to check the mail. So we were like behind on our payments. It was actually like two months, but that's fine. Yeah, go ahead and take that out of my account as well. So we were actually behind in our payments. So not only did I have to say I lost the key, please can I have another one? I also had to pay our delinquent bill. I, I'm definitely, the post office hates me. It's fine. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this podcast as much as we are enjoying giving it to you guys. Yeah, for sure. And maybe sign up for Patreon. I don't know. Paycheck, mom. It's <laughs> her job. She does this literally like 40 hours a week. Like this is full-time shit. Like this. It is really like- is a full-time job. I had no idea. I mean, I knew it would be a lot of work. consuming and a lot of work. But I did not know it would be this much work. Yeah, and seriously, like, props to all the other podcasters out there because this is not as easy as it seems. No. By the way, you guys, share us on your stories. Get us out there so that other people— Yeah, we would love this. We'll we'll reshare yours on our story. Maybe you get some followers. We have lots of cool followers from all over the world. We do, yeah. So share us on your stories. Tell your friends about us. We love you guys. You're amazing, and we want more of you. Yes. Yeah. All right. We would like to spread the knowledge of how fast you can die in the wilderness. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, I ran into, I was at the gym this week and I ran into somebody who listens to our podcast and she was like, just so you know, my kids now think I'm crazy. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, I asked them what they would do if somebody rear ended them. And they were like, I would get out of the car. And she was like, wrong that's how you die (laughs) so she said that she's had to like check herself a couple times when she's like out hiking or doing things because she's like is that is that person following me are they gonna try to kill me and then she's like no wait no wait I'm fine like she has to like reassure herself I feel like that's how my friends think of me because they think I'm crazy they like they'll I'll call them or whatever and they're doing something they're doing whatever and I'm like this is how you die. Like, what are you doing? My friend's like, I'm going on a hike. I'm like, what hike are you going on? She goes, oh, I don't know. I'm like, no. Does anyone know you're going on this hike and what hike you're going on? She's like, no. I'm like, yeah. What are you doing? You're going to die. Thanks, you guys. Sorry if we went a little bit off on a tangent. I will move it to the end. So there's a little bit of talking on this one. But yeah, thanks for coming, you guys. And we really appreciate you. And we will see you next week. Bye. And yes, I am an adult and my mother does still have access to my bank account. I do. (laughs) She still has the same account that we like signed her up for when she was like 15 or 16 or something Something like like that. that. Yeah. It's really depressing, actually, to look at Maddie's account on my app. I'm like, oh, cool. And then I'm like, oh, no, that's not my account. Never mind. I'm broke as shit.
But yes, we know I'm broke. Maddie's rich. It's fine. This I is have our lives. I'm the richest member of my family. Well, it's funny because I was, I've been a stay at home mom now for since Phoenix was born. Yeah. And this is the year that I was supposed to go back to work full time. So I was like gearing up. I'm like, she's going to be in kindergarten. She's going to be in school full time. Like, I am going to have a real life paycheck um, every two weeks. And then COVID hit. And another yeah. thing to know about my mom is that when she did have Phoenix and y'all found out she was going to be a stay at home mom, we were shocked. We were like, you're going to stay home. Yeah, I think they actually were like, that seems like a bad idea, mom. Uh, we didn't think she was going to last until Phoenix was five. We did not. We thought that she was 100% going to go to work when Phoenix turned like one. We we did not think you were going to make it. Yeah, so I stayed at home for a year after Maddie was born. And then with the rest of my kids, I went back immediately. Six weeks, that's mm-hmm. it. I was back at work. That was it. I value having my own income and my own money. And especially because I was a single mom during parts of my life, I definitely like to... She was crazy. She was a workaholic. It was insane. I don't know. I was a little bit of a workaholic. So staying home was very difficult. And I was very excited to go back to work. And then COVID happened. And now now you have a podcast. (laughs) And now I have a podcast. So I'm doing that instead. So... I don't know if anybody else has this problem, but I would say I am sent on average about seven TikToks a day. I don't send you any TikToks. And I am not even on TikTok, but somehow everybody and their mother that I know is on TikTok and feels the need to keep me aware of what's out there, I guess. I guess. I don't know. I don't send you TikToks. (laughs) What did I get today? Today I got... Oh, it's like the, I, I annoy you because I'm bored. It's like an, I annoy you because I'm bored TikTok. I'm going to lose some yeah. too. <laughs> Me and my friend were meeting by the beach, which is right by this this place we go, the marina. Mm-hmm. It's right by the Navy base. Mm-hmm. And there's two turns. The turn before is into the military base, <laughs> yeah. and the next turn is into the docks. Brita took the turn into the military base and got stuck. Duck because you can't just turn around because they're like they have the spikes too. You can't back up. Yeah, once you go. So in. she got yeah. stuck and she's calling me and she was like panicking. She was like, "I'm literally like pulling it through the gate in the navy base. Like, what do I do? I don't know." And they like had to redirect her out. It was so funny. Funny story. I used to sneak on that navy base when I was a teenager all the time. Why? And this was before. Why do you think? What's on a navy base, Madison? Boys. Yeah. There you go. You'd sneak onto the Navy base? Yeah, well, they didn't have, like, a guard like they do now. They didn't have, like, the fencing like they do now. So we would just park over at the marina right next to the Navy base, and then we would sneak on and meet oh, them at I the dorms. Could de- you could still definitely do that. You can hop the fence over there. Well, you could, but there's cameras everywhere now. Yeah, now and there's cameras unless you everywhere. want to risk getting shot, I would not recommend it. But I definitely spent some time on the Navy base as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, Cordy definitely had an interesting night last night. Maddie came home from work to... Screaming. Cordy crying. I mean, like hysterical crying, you guys. Not just like a little bit of crying, but hysterical crying. If you have never had a child go through puberty in your household, let me just tell you right now, you are not missing out on anything. Uh, No, it's awful. It was it was a hairbrush situation. So basically, I started asking her to brush her hair about seven o'clock in the morning. 
You get about a 50-50 shot whether or not your kid wants to brush their hair. I'm starting to gather in life. Why do children not want to brush their hair? And I will say this. Cordy has the thickest hair I've ever seen in my life, and her hair is very difficult to brush. But if she brushed it every day, it'd be easier. Yeah, but I feel like it's like literally half of the ch- half chil- half of children don't, don't want their to brush hair. their hair, and the other half could care less. So last time we ran into a situation a couple of years ago where Cordy continuously refused to brush her hair. It sounds okay. Before <laughs> she goes on with this story, it sounds a lot worse than it was because it sounds worse than it was, but it was like. A good solid year. It was a year of constant, constant battle and with like, brushing her hair. Bad knots. Like, like imagine going jet skiing with your hair down, long hair, jet skiing for like hours in salt water, and then coming back basically, and trying to brush that out. Basically, you could take one piece of her hair and lift it up, and the entirety of her hair would come up It'd with it. Be one big dread. It. She basically had dreads in her hair for like a year. And one day I was like, look, Cordy, if you are unable to brush your hair, I'm going to cut it off. She had hair down to her waist, by the way. And it got to a point where I kind of just grabbed the scissors and I cut her hair off. And it was very dramatic. There were lots of tears, but... There was lots of laughing from all the other children. The rest of the children thought it was hysterical. Cordelia did not. But after we cut her hair off, she was able to easily maintain it for a few months. And now her hair is long again. No, she maintained it for like probably a good year. She was able to maintain it. I don't even know if it was a full year, dude. It was when her hair was... Yeah. So maybe for like a year she was able to maintain brushing her hair. And then as it's gotten longer... Her hair is almost to that same length again. We're running into the same goddamn issues. So last night was almost, we actually couldn't find the hair cutting scissors. (laughs) Otherwise, Cordy would have lost her hair last night. So today, her hair is brushed and in a French braid and all is good in the world. But I am buying scissors today and we will see what happens. Did you check the downstairs bathroom? Mm -hmm. I looked everywhere. I can't find them. I cut my hair with kitchen scissors today. By the way, don't cut your hair with kitchen scissors. It doesn't work. Also, there are three pairs of kitchen scissors in my room because I found them in Lulu's room. Yeah. Now I'm in possession of them and need to just bring them up. So for some reason, the kitchen scissors, I have always had one designated pair of kitchen scissors that are only used in the kitchen. And somehow they manage to vanish off the face of the earth. So today I cut my hair with kitchen scissors. It went real bad. It's, I don't know if you can tell Maddie, but it's, it's a little on the choppy side. Um, but it's Mm. fine. It needed to happen. So in case you don't know, none of us have ever, none of us ever go to a hair place. Yeah. And my, one of my friend's sisters just makes me feel bad every time because she's a hairdresser and she's like, what do you mean you've never been to a hairdresser? (laughs) Never been to a hairdresser. So the mom, there was a mom at the bus stop this morning and like after I cut my hair and we're standing at the bus stop and we're talking about like the, how I had to use kitchen scissors and I'm telling Cadence, I'm like, I know you stole the scissors. I know you have them somewhere. And Cadence is like, it's not my fault you had to cut your hair with kitchen scissors. And the mom at the bus stop was like, wait, you did what? (laughs) I was like, oh, I I cut my hair today, but I could only find the kitchen scissors. She was like, you cut your own hair? And I was like, yeah, don't you? (laughs) 
No, everyone does no. not. Do Apparently, that. everybody does not do that. So I thought it was very normal not ever going to a hairdresser. So if you see realize. us in our videos and you're like, their hair is definitely not straight or it's Marie's looks, fault. It's my fault. I I did it. I cut it. So yeah. Yeah. No, my friend was a hair. My friend's older sister is a hairdresser, and she was like, "This looks a little choppy." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's because my mom did it. She's not a hairdresser." <laughs> I have never been trained on how to cut hair in any way shape or form i basically take the scissors and i just like try to cut a straight line and that's the extent of my haircutting expertise that explains the extent of my complicated haircuts throughout the years basically we and we do all have really straight hair so that probably makes it easier but it also our hair is really fine so you can see it looks a lot choppier when you don't properly cut it but whatever it's fine if you have concerns about us cutting our own hair, let us know. But yeah, well, mostly we don't. I don't lock it. I've been trying to lock it here because I don't want anybody going through it. But well, but we never, we never lock the car when we go hiking. I think my favorite thing is all the drunk people that have rummaged through my mom's car throughout the years. Uh, we think teenagers, but yes, I have had people rummage through my car while it sits in my driveway, and one of them, inconsiderate bastard, left pizza grease on my steering wheel. Like, All over everything, actually. Like, what in the actual hell? Like, if you're going to break into my car and rummage through looking for something valuable, which you're not going to find, <laughs> by the way, at least wipe your bloody hands off first. So funny. It was so funny. We got in the car. My mom goes, hands out. Something's wrong. What? <laughs> she goes, the hell is this open? And she's like, wait a second. <laughs> Those fuckers. I feel like my car is too easy to hotwire. I feel like I need to actually not hotwire, jam a screwdriver. I was going to say just break into, yeah. Okay, go. 